the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Check out monorail.com, America's affordable investment app made for conservatives who want to keep their hard-earned money with companies that share their value. Download the Monorail app today. Join Monorail. Hello, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I'm a good Monday to you. And, of course, I hope you have a good weekend. I expected... Well, I didn't say... I, I can't say I expected, but I would not have been surprised had there been some massive run on banks for people to take their money out with the Silicon Valley Bank going under. And first, the announcements from the government that they would not bail the bank out. The bank, I think this could be universally acknowledged, the bank was more preoccupied with carbon emissions than with running a bank. Please know that this is going to be the case. Uh, Woke policies will be the case for more and more professions. Medical schools like Indiana University Medical School, I will talk to you about that later, uh, are uh, telling students, are you ready? In a medical school, do not use the words male and female at a medical school. There is no such thing as male and female There are just people who have a uterus and a cervix, and there are people who have testicles and a penis, etc. That's it. That is a medical school. Uh, Airlines are now hiring, like at United and Southwest, they are hiring uh, based on color and sex more than they are on competence. And banks are now being run more on what is your policy with regard to LGBTQ uh, than what is your policy vis-a-vis protecting the savings of your depositors. Everything the left touches, it destroys. Banks should not be exempted from that rule. Everything the left touches, it destroys. I used to say everything the left touches, it ruins, and now I would say destroy is the more accurate term, and there is nothing left after destruction. Let me tell you a little about this bank, this Silicon Valley bank. Oh, cool. That is from the Silicon Valley bank, One, the head, right? The head of, uh, what is it? Um, to make sure that the bank is solvent. Uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. Collapsed lenders from the Daily Mail. Silicon Valley Bank operated without... This is... That's it. Risk officer. It was... I think it's the risk officer. This is the the person, you have to understand, who should be in charge of the issue of risks that the bank is taking so as to protect those uh, who invest in the bank. There are two people banks have to uh, protect. Investors in the bank and uh, depositors. 
collapsed lender Silicon Valley Bank operated without a chief risk officer between April 2022 and January 2023, while the operations United Kingdom-based head of risk stands accused of prioritizing pro-diversity initiatives over her actual role. Not surprising, it is a female. I point that out regularly. Women are disproportionately left-wing and disproportionately hurting children and uh, many other areas of life. It's amazing what you can say about men, but if you say a critical word, even if it's completely factual uh, about women, then, of course, you're you're, uh, a hater, uh, which is... uh, a way of saying you can only criticize men, women are uncriticizable. And that is exactly what they say. That is a left-wing position because truth is not a left-wing value. So is it true that women are disproportionately ruining children with robbing them of innocence? Of course it is. How could it not be? They're disproportionately, wildly so, kindergarten teachers, elementary school teachers, and librarians. And now, uh, in many other professions, these woke women. SVP, SVB's former head of risk, Laura Izurita, who formerly performed a similar role for Capital One, left the bank in April 2022. She wasn't replaced until January 2023 when the bank hired Kim Olson. SVB has an impressive Record, she, this is what she said when she was hired. Kim Olson, SVB has an impressive track record of sound growth and remaining true to its strategy of serving the innovation economy. Do you know what the innovation economy is? No, what does she mean by it? I'm not, I'm not being cute. Uh, what, is, what does she mean, serving the innovation economy? It's Silicon Valley, so it's... it's oh, I see, because it's Silicon Valley, and they're the, they do. They innovate censorship, I, I want to say. That, that is their greatest innovation in Silicon Valley, where the tech companies are, reside, has been, uh, for the first time in American history, widespread censorship. I am excited to lead SVB's outstanding risk management team. It's an outstanding risk management team, as we have now learned, and continue to build SVB's risk management framework and capabilities in this important next chapter of the firm's trajectory. God, do you know AI would have come up with a better statement? Right? Doesn't it sound like an artificial intelligence thing? Yeah. If you said artificial intelligence, give me a, a two-sentence paragraph that the head of risk operations of a bank would say, this is what you would get. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Meanwhile, Jay Ursipa. This is another female, by the way, named Jay. Why is this female named Jay? Because she describes herself as a queer person of color from a working class background. She is the chief uh, risk officer for the bank in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Describes herself, as I said, as a queer person of color from a working class background 
organized a host. That really still doesn't explain why she's J. Because that if she were non-binary or trans, but she's not. She's She only meets person of color, female, and queer. So she doesn't quite hit the jackpot of victimized groups. Or what is their word? Marginalized. I love them. Marginalized. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who believe in this marginalized theory, if your kid were applying to a, a prestigious, prestigious college, would it be better or worse if your kid put down non-binary indigenous people uh, queer? or something to that effect, or cisgender white male. That's the worst. Cisgender means you actually identify with the sex that you are. You are a certain sex, my friends. They made up the word gender and applied it to human beings in order to deny that we have a sex. She organized a host She's, again, the chief risk officer for Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. She organized a host of LGBTQ initiatives, including a month-long pride campaign and implemented safe space catch-ups for staff. What's a safe space catch-up, do you know? Catch-up must be a British term. That's what I think. It's a British thing. Yeah, have you ever been to a catch-up? I've used ketchup. Oh, yeah. I, kn- I had a feeling you would say something about ketchup. That's rare for you. It was this was a like a, 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 a an effusion of of punning and. It wasn't a pun, really. I just it, I used it just you used ketchup. Yes, fine. Maybe that's what they meant. Safe space ketchups. Play-Doh, maybe it's his, it's his, it's yes. If they have Play-Doh, this is safe space catch-ups is as logical as safe space catch-ups. In a corporate video published just nine months ago, she said she could not be prouder to work for SVB, serving underrepresented entrepreneurs. Okay, is that the one who has the video? Is that is it is it from this Jay Ursipa? Who is the person who gives... Oh, we're going to play. Oh, 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 it's a lot of people. Right, thank you, yes. I sent it to you, and I don't remember what is. I, I read too much. More on SVB when we return. Many investment advisors have been recommending cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. They claim it's the new gold. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Why would you buy the new gold when you can buy real gold and silver? which have maintained value for thousands of years versus the highly volatile crypto market. When I purchase gold and silver, I do so from my friend, and I don't often say my friend in these ad copies, Nick Grovich, owner of Amfed Coin and Bullion. I like the fact that it's tangible. I can hold it and control how it's stored, unlike digital currency that's held in a digital wallet. I want to preserve my wealth, which is far from the case with Bitcoin spiraling drop in price. Nick's been in the precious metals industry for over 41 years, and he has established a reputation built on trust, transparency, and fair pricing. 
Call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion to take advantage of his honest advice and extensive expertise. 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. AmericanFederal.com. So I'd like you to hear this. What what do I this video made by this incompetent bank, Silicon Valley Bank, their British division, about how they welcome the the marginalized and they reach out. There isn't a word about whether they're a good bank. The whole preoccupation, which is part of the reason they they crumbled, their preoccupation was with woke policies, not good banking. Well, it's okay. The uh, The airlines are starting, some of the airlines are starting to be preoccupied with the same thing. Not good piloting, but reaching out to make sure that the underrepresented and the marginalized are in the cockpit, which they don't use any longer. Flight deck. Here is the, uh, I hope you'll, uh, you'll follow it and you can watch it because my, my show is, my show is in fact on the Salem News Channel on video. So you can watch this video as we play it. But if you're just listening, listen carefully. They all have British accents, which you will acclimate to rapidly. I think what really sets us apart when we think about diversity, equity and inclusion at SVB is our culture and our united desire to lead with empathy, to listen without Hold judgment. Hold on, is that... And to wait, really wait, wait, try... wait, 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 that's it. This is a bank, ladies and gentlemen. They listened with empathy. Ah... That's where I want to place my hard-earned money. An empathic bank. There's one group, however, that SVB did not have empathy for. Do you know what group that is? Can you guess? Now, I think I know what you're thinking, but I'm not thinking that. You're thinking Christians, Republicans, Trump supporters. I'll get to that. The group that they didn't have empathy for, well, there were two. They're investors and their depositors. But they did have empathy for the marginalized. Continue, please. And put ourselves in the shoes of others. The result of that is a place to work where you don't feel like you have to self-edit when you come to work. Okay, or when this you is a lie. Call, you, but... do ha- you do have to self-edit when you go to any woke institution. You don't have to self-edit if you're a Trump supporter a Republican, a conservative, a devout Christian, you don't have to self-edit? Really? They lie with the ease with which you breathe. This guy is lying, and he doesn't know he's lying. He believes what he's saying, because he's only thinking of certain groups. Of course you have to self-edit at any left-wing institution, which means any institution by and large today. That's exactly what you have to do. Shut your mouth, Christian. Shut your mouth, conservative. Shut your mouth, MAGA supporter. 
Shut your mouth if you think that children are born male or female. Just shut up, because you're a hater if you say there are only two sexes. Nobody has to self-edit at our bank. O-M-G. Continue, please. One where you can bring as much as yourself to work as you really want to. Okay, that's a riot. I mean, it's mind-blowing. You can bring as much of yourself to work? Really? So if the person is pro-life and they bring in pictures of uh, babies in the womb, that's not an issue at Silicon Valley Bank, the late unlamented Silicon Valley Bank. This is the culture that they're creating. By the way, it's not the only bank creating this culture. The biggest banks are, are going as woke, uh, almost as woke as SVB did. Continue, please. This is their video. Of joining SVB, I think it's the people and the culture that there is here. Everyone's been really friendly, approachable about being open, and it's made it really easy to be comfortable being my true self here. But that's not true. The whole video is a lie. It's you're only comfortable if you are gay, if you're non-binary, if if you are what else, transsexual or transgender, then you're comfortable. If you hold any traditional value, it is a place of profound discomfort. And now here's this Jay Ersipa that I was quoting, the one who was made uh, the head of uh, the chief risk officer. And she uh, describes herself, let me get that again, a queer person of color. So here she is. Make it our mission at SDB to ensure that our clients, employees, and partners feel listened to and that their voices matter. So from funding underrepresented entrepreneurs um, to having multiple employee resource groups, I could not be prouder of working for a company like SVB. Right. And and if it weren't for a bailout, how many of your clients would have lost savings? And, of course, the investors have lost all their money. They're not bailed out. But this is the, their mission was not good banking. Their mission was to make a place comfortable for the non-binary. Continue, please. What we do throughout the year, the space that we hold throughout the year for all of these groups, for, for, for everyone that feels um, that they have a space in one of these ERGs and talking about it all the time, not just for Pride Month, not just for, you know, any other kind of day related. It's about how we support each other all the time. But and they, I think we hey, do that well. They only support each other if they're of a certain persuasion. They really... Uh, they committed suicide at SBB. My friends, a food shortage could be coming. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. So survival food is important. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling For Patriots Survival Food Kits. It's not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years super survival food. Hand-packed right in a family-owned facility in the USA. 
giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, and stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. You can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. Just add boiling water, simmer, and serve. Right now, you can go to 4Patriots, that's the number 4, 4patriots.com. Use the code Prager to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You get their famous year-long guarantee after your order and free shipping on orders over $97. Just go to 4patriots.com to get 10% off with the code Prager for the number 4patriots.com, code Prager. To say that Silicon Valley Bank was run by utterly incompetent people, dangerous people, in fact, because a combination of stupid and arrogant. This is a symbol of of the age. Oh, at least 25 years ago, I began saying, probably longer, I began saying... What has happened in journalism is reporters decided that merely reporting the news as objectively as they could, and nobody can do it perfectly, we understand that, but merely being a reporter, which is what journalists should be, they should report the news. If they wish to be a columnist, then they can give their opinions. But as a news reporter, your task is to report the news. The more people became left-wing, the less they valued their profession. So they didn't view their purpose of reporting the news as adequate, as life-fulfilling. This is notoriously true about one uh, uh, one of the least responsible groups in the country, which is a competition, sports writers. They go to bed at night, and most of them think, gee, all I do is report on sports. I'm not changing the world. For people on the left, doing your work well, let alone raising good kids, is so spectacularly unfulfilling. What you need to do is fulfill your purpose of life in the macro You have to change the world. Hope and change. Remember that? Change the world. And so they become political. All bankers do is protect the assets of their customers, whether they are the investors or the depositors. That's not changing the world. Writers are not, reporters are not changing the world. Of course, none of these people realize, actors, actors felt this. All I do is act? No, 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 no. I have to change the world. As society secularized, people lost more and more meaning. Many of these people are not married or have children. Massive arenas of meaning in life. So what they do is they try to use their profession for values, ideals, hopes, promises, 
policies that have nothing to do with their field. The moron sports writers who went crazy about the Washington Redskins football team changing its name and dropping the name Redskins. And it turns out the Washington Post itself, massive study of American Indians, of Native Americans, the vast majority couldn't care less about the name Redskins. The whole thing was a fraud made up by sports writers, bored with their profession, who think they're nothings, but now they're somethings, because they clamored for the dignity of American Indians, of indigenous people. Same too with the same with these bankers. You think we're just going to protect the assets of our depositors and investors? No way. We are going to protect the marginalized, which has nothing to do with banking. And so, they didn't know anything about banking. When you run a bank and you don't account for interest rates rising, you're an idiot. <laughs> is that fair? Yeah. <laughs> the interest rate is at zero. It's going to continue that way forever. It never, it doesn't, I know that. And economics is not my field. I know a hell of a lot more about theology than economics. But I know more about economics than the people who ran SVB. Silicon Valley Bank, because that's not their area. They had a massive portion of their assets in bonds that, yes, that you know will lose value if and when interest climbs, long bonds. My friends, I'm Dennis Prager, and I devoted the entire hour to the banking issue. If you didn't hear it, can't hear it, would like to hear it again, please know you can hear every one of my hours without commercials at PragerTopia.com. PragerTopia.com. People around the world listen to the show via PragerTopia. Last night was the Academy Awards. I don't know if you say was the Academy Awards or were the Academy Awards, because the Academy Awards is a, is the name of a of an event. An event is singular. Uh, very few people are troubled by this. I am. Well, we pick our troubles. One of the heroes of America today is Christian Toto, well-known Hollywood maven that is a connoisseur of what goes on there. Why is he an American hero? Because I believe he watched the entire Academy Awards last <laughs> night. My friends, that, that is like jumping into icy water and saving a drowning child. <laughs> Christian Toto, who is author of Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. He also has a video up at PragerU on Hollywood. And it's wokacity. So, uh, without being cute, I was cute, (laughs) but on the non-cute level, tell me the truth, and I don't don't have any agenda for the answer. Mm -hmm. On a 1 to 10 scale, 10 being 
fascinating, exhilarating. I didn't want it to end. One being so boring that I, uh-huh. I, I would have preferred to stare at a ceiling. What would you rate the Academy Awards? You know, it usually floats between a one and a two. Last night was a solid four. I have to give. I have to give yeah, the no, show no, some I, credit. I knew, no, I knew you would be honest, I, and that's why I was curious. So, why was it better than than previous ones? Well, the last couple of years have been almost like a caricature of what a conservative would imagine the Oscars would be at La La Hollywood Land. Just virtue signaling and preaching and not entertaining. And they pushed some, not all, but some of that away. It was much more straightforward. There was a lot of gratitude. There were some beautiful speeches. And Jimmy Kimmel, the shock of all shocks, was not a hardcore progressive politician during the monologue. He was actually kind of funny and charming. And he he did some jokes late in the show that were definitely for his base. But he kept to the basics. It wasn't Billy Crystal, but it was Crystal-like. And uh, I, I was shocked by that. There's no question then that they, whoever runs the Academy Awards, uh, uh, what is it, the Academy uh, Motion Pictures Academy? What is it called? Academy Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences. Yeah, okay. They, they got the message Americans were tuning out. Is that correct? You know, they've never said that, and it's been bad for a while. But when you watch the show last night, something changed. Something happened. Some message got out. And it wasn't completely message free, but it, it was very different than than recent years. It can't be an accident, especially with Jimmy Kimmel, whose bread and butter is very progressive political humor, always one sided. And he really held his punches for most of the night. It can't have happened. Just, oh, gosh, we're going to make it like this. Yes, of it course. It must have been some right. sort of edict pushed down. That, that makes perfect sense. So do we have any idea what the ratings are or will that come out later in the week? You know, it should be later today. I just checked before we came on. Didn't see anything yet. Usually Twitter will have it first. You know, it's been very interesting. I think that the slap last year, the Chris Rock, Will Smith incident, maybe will help a little bit this year because people think, oh, gosh, what's going to happen now? But other than that, I don't think anything will be changing dramatically. It is radically smaller than it was 10 years ago. Gargantuan difference between now and 20 years ago. It's just not a must-see event. They've chased a lot of people away, and they're not coming back. Well, I'm one of them. Uh, I <laughs> no, I, I mean it. I'm not. I, I I really enjoy watching movies, but I'm I'm not a you know big. I'm not a movie buff, but I really enjoy movies. I I I liked gratitude speeches. They they touched me. You said that there was a lot of that last night. Not only that, but one of the winners for best supporting actor, Ki Hu Kwan. He said that his life is the American dream. He was an immigrant. He came to You're America. You're kidding me. Wait, 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 one second. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. He wasn't censored for saying that they didn't bleep it out? <laughs> no. <laughs> he said he the words, wait, he said the words, the American dream? Absolutely. I can't lie about that. Well, no, <laughs> was, I'm not. I'm, I am not kidding. I'm saying this to my audience. I'm not kidding. People ask me all the time, is there hope for America? And I, I never patronize audiences. I, there's always hope, but we're in a bad situation. That's a reason for hope. Just that fact alone at the Academy Awards, and he's an immigrant. Where did he immigrate mm-hmm. from? Do you know? 
You know, he's Asian American. It might be Viet. I don't know his his uh, right. country is, of origin, right, but right. that was part of his story. And the and the audience obviously applauded. You know, he was such a a, a great story. He was out of acting for a few years. He came back. It was, it was everything was sort of on his side, and I, I think there's nothing he could have said. That would have turned the audience against him. So I think that and also, you know, he spoke from the heart and as liberal as Hollywood is, I think on some level they get it. They get the American dream. They get the story. They know that they're so lucky to be able to dress up for a living. So I think on some internal level, they they it registered with them as well. Christian Toto wrote Virtue Bombs, how Hollywood got woke and lost its soul. And he's uh, he's stationed in Denver. Was there a lot of security because of the Chris Rock issue? I read something about that. I'm serious. You know, they mentioned there was a crisis team. I didn't see any physical signs of it. I'm sure they had people on guard. But, you know, that was a once in a lifetime thing. Thank goodness. But, you know, you, you mentioned signs of hope in times of despair. I think the fact that the Oscars did what they did last night good and point. changed course that, in a way a, that's a good is, point. is sort of a global better sign as well. I mean, listen, there's... This is a large fight, but the fact that they decided to dial it down, mm-hmm. it, it, it does speak something. It, it says that they, they get it on some level. So the name, everything, everywhere, all at once, it won seven awards. Mm-hmm. Had I spoken to you on Friday, would you have predicted the winner? Best picture? Oh, yes. And, you know, it's been winning almost every award before the Oscars. It's got all the buzz. The critics liked it. It was a kind of an indie film, a very quirky movie, but it made a fairly good amount of money for that kind of production. So everything was in its favor. It's got a mostly Asian cast. And of course, diversity matters extreme, to an extreme level in Hollywood. But listen, it was inventive. It was different. And Hollywood is so obsessed with sequels and remakes and reboots. This was fresh. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was a great movie, but it was definitely different and challenging and clever. And, uh, you know, I good well, for Hollywood. So that's for interesting. So my, my producer uh, taught uh, screenwriting at the American F- Film Institute. Is that correct? Uh, f- uh, I got the name right. Uh, he, he That's his background. He really knows movies like you do. And he had the exact same reaction. It was a good movie, not a great movie. Mm-hmm. So did it win because the others were mediocre, or did it win to a, cer- a significant extent because of its Asian cast? That's the million dollar question. And that's why what we're seeing now in Hollywood is so toxic because when you win, you should win because you're the best or people think you're the best. It, I mean, it's an artist objective. So now you have to think, okay, was it just that it was a wonderful movie and that it was original and dynamic or was part of it that, you know, Hollywood has been dismissive of minorities for years and they feel such guilt that you're trying to overcorrect. And, you know, that's it, it, no one should have that on them. And the people who want you to just think, you know what, we won. It's great. And that's wonderful. But there's always that thought in your mind that maybe this was winning for a different reason. There's a different motivation there. You can never say for sure. But you well, can't, what do you think you was the best the movie? I thought Top Gun Maverick was at the Top Gun Maverick did everything right. It had nostalgia. It had action. It had a beautiful arc to it. It had fine performances. It was visually dazzling. It continued a story that people loved from the 80s in a fresh way. It was so apolitical. It was kind of political in a sense. I think for all those reasons, it was the best picture. It was the most popular. And I don't always think that the most popular should be the best picture at the Oscars. Don't get me wrong. But I think it did enough to just check every possible box. And it was nominated, but it had no hope of winning. 
because it was too celebratory of the military? You know, I don't know. You know, maybe there's sort of a when you're so popular, that sort of rubs against you in a way like, oh, you know, what's, oh, that's interesting. Critics like something different. But, you know, critics liked it as well. So it, it, listen, it just didn't have that Oscar feel. It had a blockbuster feel. The Oscar movies are, you know, biopics and serious and sober mm-hmm. and addressing societal ills. And it didn't do that. It was just fun. I got a, I got a few more questions because it's it, mm. It's an important event in America to, to give. It's one of those things that you could measure the heartbeat of the country. By the way, his website is hollywoodintoto.com. Hollywoodintoto.com. Christian Toto. We return momentarily, Christian. I thank you. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with My Pillow is launching the My Pillow 2.0. When Mike invented my pillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The My Pillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original My Pillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The My Pillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my listeners, the My Pillow 2.0 is buy one get one free offer with promo code Prager. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listeners square to the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Dennis Prager. I'm going to continue reviewing Hollywood. And you hear the touching speech of the Best Actor winner. Best Supporting Actor. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that. I do. Christian Toto, as in HollywoodInToto.com, author of, of Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. Prager you video from a couple of years ago about Hollywood. Last year. Last year? Oh, that recent. We're back to Christian Toto. I'd like you, I'm going to play Christian the talk you referenced by the Vietnamese American winner of Best Supporting Actor. I'd like you all to, to hear it. It's about a half a minute. My mom is 84 years old. And she's at home watching. Mom, I just want an Oscar. He's crying. It's very touching. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp. And somehow, I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. They say stories like this only happen in the movies. I cannot believe it's happening to me. This, this is the American dream. That's really great. This is the American dream. Takes a Vietnamese American. If he started on a boat, that means he was a Vietnamese boat boat person. Escaping the communist tyrants of, of, of Vietnam. Imagine if he'd have said that. I was on a boat escaping communism. 
Oops. You think they would have cheered, Christian? Uh-oh. <laughs> we need to take a break, everyone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Little Hook would come out and grab him. You know, that actually, his story would make a great movie. And I don't know if Hollywood wants to make it, but that wouldn't be so bad. That's an excellent point. How many of the nominees did you watch? I think I've seen most. I, I did not see uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, but I saw nine of the ten best pictures and most of everything. And this... There's a lot of movies, <laughs> and I have not seen the shorts. Why, why, did they, uh, why did they extend it from five nominees to ten? It's pure marketing. I mean, listen, if you're a Best Picture nominee, you put that on the poster, oh, you put that in the ad oh, campaign. Oh, I see. It, it, the, you know, the Oscars themselves, it's a, it's a huge advertisement for Hollywood, for movies, for glamour, for, you know, the whole experience. And we accept that, and it's perfectly fine, which is why it's been so weird that they've been so abrasive in their comments, Comments because you're pushing people away. You want to draw them in and say, hey, this is the best of Hollywood. These are the best stars, the most glamorous, the most talented. These movies stirred our emotions. Come see them. Come watch them again and tell a friend. So the whole evening is, a, is a, just an advertisement, really. Why didn't they extend then Best Actor, Best Actress to 10? I, I don't know. I mean, I think at that point, it too maybe unwieldy. Gets a too, yeah. But, and, and, you know, I think there's hopefully some tradition involved. When I watched the Oscars years ago, they would, uh, for each nominee for best movie, they would show clips from the movie. Mm-hmm. Do, do they still do that with 10 nominees? They do it. And listen, it's one of the reasons why it's three and a half hours long. Uh-huh. There's so much to do. You've got clip you know, assembles a cliff. They had an in memoriam segment honoring the people that passed away the last year, little skits here and there, so many awards. There's just tons of content. And, you know, the bottom line is that even if it was an, an engaging show, three and a half hours, nothing is <laughs> nothing less like that and can really get our attention. So, uh-huh. making well, three and a half hours Rosh Hashanah services do. Okay. It's a total non sequitur, but when you said <laughs> okay. nothing lasts three and a half hours, as, as a Jew who attends services, I assure you it's not true. <laughs> there was the best, uh, I read the best, uh, what was it, uh, song uh, was from India, is that correct? Yeah, the movie's RRR, and it's a really over-the-top, outlandish, fun musically driven it's got action sequences it's a fun film it didn't get a lot of love last night but they did have a live performance of some of the performers who made that come to life it was spectacular i mean if the whole show would have been that i would have been i would have been really oh so you think it's something worth watching absolutely you know it's also a very long movie Uh it's on netflix right now so if you want to stream it you can do it right this you know tonight all right well that uh, that, different that reminds me then when you say it's on netflix I, I have great anger at Hollywood, and yet I don't want to see movie theaters closed by the thousands. Are they? Uh, last year was tough. I think bouncing back from the pandemic has been uneasy. I think there are a lot of question marks there. I think the early 2023 has been some signs of progress. But, you know, with streaming technology, with social media, and with movies that just ain't that great, it, it, there's a problem there. There's a disconnect. So I think if Hollywood upped its game made it made better movies, you know, kind of cut the messaging out and just said, hey, come come watch our films, come enjoy the experience. We're so glad to have you. You know, Tom Cruise, the actor, whatever flaws he has off screen, has been this really strong ambassador to the movie going experience. 
He just makes good movies. He thanks the people again and again for coming. And if more stars kind of carried that that sensibility, that that you know, let's put on a show sentiment, I, I think theaters would rebound in a bigger way. Finally, uh, and I could talk to you for hours. Actually, you're a delight. Uh, what did you see, Tar? I did. What did you think of and it? I, you know, I enjoyed it. It, it, it really. You know classical music, it's not my strength, but it really kind of takes you behind the scenes in that world, and it shows a lot of the the nuances of cancel culture in a way that I think we need to see. And, of course, Kate really? Blanchett is Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to see time. that. I'm going to have to see that. All right, your website, hollywoodintoto.com. Visit it, my friends, and read his book, Virtue Bombs. Watch his PragerU video. Speak to you soon. Thank you, Christian. My pleasure. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager and March is Prager U fundraising month. You want to have more hope? Donate to Prager U. We change minds. You will see that there's a. They'll be coming. Where was the? Where will the ad be on Fox News? Yeah, it's been playing. It's been playing already. You could see the ad for a Prager U at Fox News, and you will see one of our personalities, Amal Epinobi, who who sat in for me last week. By the way, as she has uh, on a number of occasions, she's extraordinary. And uh, she notes how PragerU changed her mind. She's about 22 years old, and she pulls, rolls up her sleeve and shows you a BLM tattoo. So that doesn't prove that this someone who went from left to sanity, nothing would. So this is a very important work that PragerU is doing. Another one of our personalities, one of the the newest, that is, personality is the term, in case you're not hip on these batters, for those in, uh, influencers is another term for them, that various websites may use. They may use their own. PragerU has a number of such young people. One of them is C.J. Pearson, who's terrific. And who has uh, a show at PragerU.com, the weekly wrap-up. So I, I welcome him to my show. Hi, CJ. <laughs> Good to see you, Dennis. How are you? Well, as I said to you when we were doing the video test right before, <laughs> to see you in a tie and shirt uh, <laughs> is... Uh, I mean, ties usually come with shirts. It's redundant. <laughs> to see you wearing a tie... So I'm I'm curious seriously. Uh, prior to PragerU, did you ever wear a tie? You know, every every now and then. You know, I grew up in the South, so every 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 Sunday going to church, my grandmother made sure that I had a tie on. That really touches me. So you lived the did they the concept? Did you use the term Sunday best? Oh yeah, every every Sunday it was the expectation. Where in the South did you grow up? In Georgia, Augusta. That's is uh, is Augusta? No, no, 
the um it's where the masters is the golf tournament. oh that's right i knew there was something there that's right exactly did you ever get into golf a little bit, you know, living there, you kind of have to. So it's either you learn how to play some golf or you learn how to drive the cart. And I think, I think I'm a little bit better at driving the cart, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That's what I would do. Yeah. So how did you end up at PragerU? Yeah, so, you know, actually, it's a it's kind of a funny story. So the freshman year of college for me, which was just three or so years ago, I actually did one of our five-minute videos talking about the importance of 9-11, an event that I wasn't even alive during, but remember to this day, obviously, because of the importance that it has in American history and the symbol that it proves to America's determination, its grit, and also the importance that it shows in the terms of that America can be a united country and what we can accomplish when we do. Uh, and then so since then, you know, I've been involved in conservative politics since I was just an 11-year-old kid making YouTube videos in my childhood bedroom. Uh, and it's been an incredible journey. And one thing for me that I've always been intentional about is just showing other young people uh, that there is another side of the argument, uh, another side of the argument that we don't always get in our college lecture halls or our college classrooms, but very much does exist. It's the conservative point of view. And, you know, we, we stayed in touch with PragerU. And then when uh, the role opened up for a new personality here, I was uh, I volunteered, I auditioned, and it went well. And now I live here in LA and work full time for PragerU. Is your family proud of you? I, I hope so. You know, we we do have different politics, and that was you know kind of interesting. Well, that's why I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting growing up. You know, when I first started in politics, I think they definitely thought it was a phase. And the interesting thing about my grandparents is that while they've and, and that's who I was raised by. While they always have voted Democrat, they've always been pretty conservative people. You know, like I said, I, I grew up going to church every single Sunday, learning about the importance of faith and family, um, of not spending money that you don't have. So for me, it wasn't a stretch to embrace conservative values. It was, it's what I was raised around. Uh, but what was interesting about them is that they kind of bought in to the gaslighting that the left is often known to do, but telling black people that we should allow the color of our skin to dictate our politics. But thankfully, being so young, uh, I wasn't blinded by that nonsense. I hadn't even been exposed to it yet. I didn't know what identity I want to. I want to, uh, when we come back, I, I want to deal with this issue of your family. I mean, yeah. you, they're, be, it's, they're black conservatives who vote Democrat. That's what, that's what yeah. I'm hearing. All right, back in a moment with C.J. Pearson. This is Fundraising Month for PragerU, PragerU.com. Hello, everybody. We have a couple of people, young people, who have large audiences at PragerU touching young people, though obviously people of any age listen, but especially young people. One of the newest is C.J. Pearson. How old are you, C.J.? I'm 20 years old. You're kidding me. <laughs> Re folks, do you realize that this guy has a large audience and is very effective, and he was not alive on 9-11? When you said <laughs> that to me, I, I really thought, wow, this is the way the world works. Yeah. Something that is so uh, so real and vivid in in my mind and, and most americans minds you were not even born yet so yeah. here you are a black kid in augusta georgia mm -hmm. now if i may ask and you'll you'll be as open as you feel you can 
You mm-hmm. spoke of your grandmother. So were there parents in your life? Yeah. So my, my mom had me in her senior year of high school, wasn't really in any position to kind of raise a child. And so my grandparents uh, stepped in and my grandfather, he served 20 years in the military uh, in the United States Army. Uh, my grandmother, she stayed at home and it, it gave me that conservative upbringing that we kind of talked about a little bit before the break. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up Uh, you know, surrounded by family and the importance of and all those things, uh, which is why even when we disagreed about politics, we never disagreed about values. We never disagreed about principles. Uh, And so while they haven't always been uh, the most excited about the people that I support or the ideas that I profess, I always give them a hard time about it because I'm like, these ideas are your ideas. You guys just vote the wrong way. So, (laughs) You know, you should tell your family what I tell my family. Because blacks vote Democrat, Jews vote Democrat. And, mm-hmm. and I tell my extended family, who have exactly the point, utterly traditional values. In, in my case, I'm not talking about my kids. They are conservative, thank God. But, but my extended family, and you know, they go to synagogue every week, just like you went to church every week. And yeah. so I, I came up with a phrase. I said to them, why don't you preach what you practice? That's what exactly. you should, that's what your, ba- you, you could tell your family, uh, folks, I preach what you practice. Yeah. It's, it's exactly that. And I would always tell them that growing up, you know, I'd have a video that went viral online and my grandpa or my grandma would be like, why are you saying these things, TJ? Why are you saying these things? Well, these are the things that you, you taught me to say. And and I think that looking around, even being young, when I first started being 12 years old, I would look around the country and look at the destitution and poverty of America's inner cities. And I would see the commonality between all of them. It was progressive thought run amok, bad public policy that left the black community in a in a state of destitution, where in so many of those communities, you can't even have black kids playing on the sidewalk without the threat of them being shot dead. And and I don't understand how one can support policies that continue to put us in the chains that we worked so hard historically to rid ourselves of. I I couldn't get behind that. it, It shows you how people are animated by emotion more than by reason. Exactly. Uh, no, it's, it's so real. And I think that's why like what we're doing at PragerU is so important because it's about actually putting logic in front of people and equipping uh, young people like me who were in college before. I, you know, I left the University of Alabama to come join PragerU, but <laughs> equipping the, the, conserv- the campus conservatives with the knowledge that they need to defend their ideas and, and to advance the movement in our lecture halls. Because in far too many classrooms, what we see is that these you know college professors, they get to you know condemn America, decry it as this racist, sexist, uh, bigoted institution. And no one in those classrooms sometimes has the courage to raise their hand. But what I always noticed, and when I was in those classrooms and I would raise my hand, uh, after class, you would have people walking up to you and saying, I've never thought about it that way. And I didn't even know that conservatives thought that way about this issue. And I think that, you know, one of the best things that we do at PragerU is we just don't focus on preaching to the choir, but we focus on growing the congregation uh, to ensure that the conservative movement not only uh, can continue to survive, but thrive and grow. And uh, we do that every single day here. And it's been such an incredible thing to be a part of. You're enjoying it? I'm having so much fun. You know, I never thought that I would move to L.A., 
from the South after living in Augusta, going to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, the great thing about being in L.A., and I think it, it's so interesting about PragerU, is that you're reminded of the reason that we fight Every single day. Because we <laughs> That's a great line. I finally right. found a, a justification for staying in L.A. <laughs> Exactly. Like you can't, you know, live in L.A. and and be surrounded by the homeless encampments and, you know, the the lack of support for our law enforcement and say that this is where America should go. And so living here, you say, I'm going to fight incredibly hard with so much passion, with so much zeal, with so much energy to ensure that the rest of the American people don't have to undergo what we volunteer to go through every single day. Uh, But we do have great weather here, Dennis. So that's that's a perfect. Yeah. But believe me if we had alabama's weather nobody would be living here it's it's a sad fact well cj it is a joy to have you on board at PragerU. and uh, how do people watch you or hear you yes yeah, yeah. So you guys can check out my weekly show, The Wrap-Up, which is available on PragerU.com and the PragerU YouTube. And you guys can also check me out on Twitter at the CJ Pearson, And I'm on all the apps, and you can catch me there. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you so much. And, folks, uh, this is Fundraising Month for PragerU. Now you understand why. Why did he say it was such a great point? We grow the community or whatever it is. That's right. That's exactly right. Think of a a 20-year-old watching C.J. Pearson who used the key word. It's not a matter of, it it is a matter, of course, of conservatism. But do you know what it is a matter of primarily? Logic. That's the term he used. That's exactly right. It's not logical to say men give birth. It's absurd. Anyway, so go to PragerU.com, please. Thank you. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Address the issue of the Silicon Valley Bank. And now I'm addressing the issue of parents, children, and what is happening to our children I am preoccupied with the issue. The child abuse that the left is engaged in is one of the reasons that if there is a God, and I believe there is, and God is just, I believe this with utter sincerity, people on the left will be judged adversely by a good God. If for nothing else, I mean, they have a history of genocide, but even 
the non-genocidal left, the damage deliberately done to children by the left in this country and in Britain and Canada is astonishing. State of California where I live, and I, I don't know if I am morally justified for even living here because I pay taxes here to an extremely corrupt and evil government. These are very serious matters, and they are addressed in a brand new book by two people, one of whom I know and I'm a big fan of. I've had her on a number of occasions, Carol Markowitz. She is co-authored with Bethany Mandel, this book. She's a columnist for the New York Post, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. If that's not self-recommending, then nothing is, given who's written it and the subject. The book is up at DennisPrager.com, Stolen Youth. Carol Markowitz, welcome back to The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, Dennis. Really nice to see you. Yes, the same here. Was I too severe? And you can certainly say yes. I I always tell <laughs> guests you can differ with me. I don't think so. We opened the book with a history chapter on totalitarian leftism of the past and the ways that it has harmed children and divided families and caused mass destruction. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is happening in America today, that the totalitarianism that we all have feared in other places has arrived here and is happening. Um, you know, last week, I, I'm on Instagram, um, as all the old people like me are, um, and I saw a reel of you speaking and saying that when you were in the Soviet Union, people used to look over their shoulder before speaking to you and that now that happens to you in America, that when you're in an airport, somebody will come up to you and kind of like look around before they start talking and because they're afraid. Um, that to me, I, I, I remixed it, as the kids say, on Instagram and I posted it on my Instagram and I said, this is what our book is about. It's this forced conformity where you're afraid to speak to Dennis Prager in an airport is what we're afraid of happening to our children. That's right. So when you say you begin with the history, what history are you referring to exactly? So I open with a story of my own family. I was born in the Soviet Union. My great-grandfather died in a gulag in the Soviet Union. And how that affected my family, how his children suffered, how they were always afraid, how they felt like they were the enemies of the state and that they had to renounce their father and really make a whole big spectacle of it. My great-grandfather died under Stalin's rule, and yet when Stalin died, his two daughters set out to make a scrapbook of Stalin's life. And then, of course, a few months later, Stalin was out of fashion, so they had to quickly destroy the scrapbook. And that kind of conformity and spectacle is something that we just have really not experienced in America. But during the George Floyd riots, where immediately all of my neighbors in Brooklyn put up BLM signs and defund police signs, it was so familiar of the not only do you need to believe and you need to believe in a very specific way. You can't say I'm not racist. You have to say I'm anti-racist. You have to make the spectacle of it so that you know that you're allowed into the in-group. And if you're not, if you don't, you know, who knows what will happen to you. I'm, I'm just trying to picture Carol Markowitz surrounded 
by defund police and BLM oh, yeah. signs. Uh, On their like $5 million brownstones, you know? <laughs> oh, the more expensive, the more likely you are to have this. Right, absolutely. Because they don't have to worry about that. It wasn't their problem if the police were defunded. Have you ever, I haven't, uh, I'll just say that, I, I would love to, but they don't come on shows like mine, they don't dialogue, they don't meet anybody who differs with them, but have you in any way experienced a dialogue with any of these people at like children's hospitals who say that a, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old can be given hormone blockers uh, and and even eventually horrible surgeries. Have you ever spoken to any of these people? I, I've never spoken to anybody in a hospital that actually has is doing this or having a direct result on these children, but I've absolutely spoken to people who believe that this is the right path for so many kids. And I will say, you know, hormone blockers can have lifelong effects on these children. It can really damage them. They can maybe never have kids. Uh, other terrible things happen to them. Um, and they'll say, no, no, I, I read that it's completely harmless and you can reverse it at any time. And I'll, I just it's shocking to me that they believe something that's so obviously untrue. And in Stolen Youth, we've spoken to people who had this gender dysphoria, were convinced into one way or another. And, you know, it ended up being that they, they, they didn't feel ultimately like they, they were the other sex than the one that they were born in. Um, and we felt that these stories were really important to tell because, again, people are living in a world where they're told that there's no repercussions to trying to change the gender that you were born with. Obviously, there is. How could there not be? You know, I haven't heard this mentioned much, but I do. Agree. I, I, like you, devote a lot of attention to this, though, of course, I've not written a book like you have, and I want to repeat, the book is called Stolen Youth. It's up at DennisPrager.com. But the very notion that a person thinks they're the opposite sex is bizarre. Uh, and I mean bizarre because it defies any understanding, not because I don't have it, but be- but because how could you possibly know if you're a boy what it means to be a girl? How do you know? How do you know you're a girl? You don't you don't right. know what being a girl is like. So how can you possibly say you are something you have no idea what it is like to be? Yeah. What's even scarier is that we've, you know, blew past that so quickly. The the you could change your gender from boy to girl or girl to boy. Now you can be non-binary. Before we left New York, uh, my 12-year-old daughter's friends were all one by one coming out as non-binary because it was an easy thing to be. You don't have to change anything. You just have to declare yourself a they. Um, uh, last week, the Washington Post unironically referred to somebody as Zer, Z-E-R. I don't even know what that's supposed to be. Um, what what pronoun is Zer? I've never heard of that. Well, Zer is non-binary. Like Are you serious? Well, the, the Washington Post did that Washington in, Post. In, a, in, a, yes. in an opinion piece yes. or, or a news yes. piece? No, no, in a news piece. You're kidding news piece. me. Um, no, I'm serious. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, they The person in the story wants to be referred to as Zer, and that's what they got. Yeah, it's happening. It's here. What if somebody said to the Post, I'd like to be referred to as his eminence? Well, Dennis, if you don't do that, should the Post ever interview you, then, uh, you know, I don't even know you. You have to do that. You're so right. You're so right. I I, I will have blown a a real opportunity. 
I, I would love to have an answer to that question. How do you know the the other sex? See, you can't have it both ways. If you're a, a girl and you say you're a boy, uh, then you obviously are saying I'm something quite different. I'm willing to mutilate my body. That's how different I feel from my sex. But the very fact that the boy is so different means you don't have a clue what it means to be a boy. You don't. You literally don't know what you are doing. And adults are facilitating this, which is, of course, what you're writing about. Did you come across any dissenters in, in, on the left? Is there anybody saying this is horrible? There are. They are unable to use their real names, which just tells you the kind of situation that they're in. But there are people on the left dissenting and the people that are starting to speak out on this because they're seeing some real truths. Uh, Barry Weiss published a piece by somebody who works inside a gender hospital where they, um, you know, the woman who wrote the piece is a lesbian. She's, um, you know, fairly committed to leftist causes, but she saw that these kids were there's only one way to treat them now. And that's, we have a chapter in the book on medical licensing. For example, if you are a doctor and you don't think that gender affirming is what we should be doing to every single child, then you can lose your license. And that's really the scariest part of this woke conformity that has taken hold that we write about in Stolen Youth is that you can maybe take your kids out of schools, you can take them out of culture, you can not have them watch modern movies with all this nonsense in it, but how are you not going to take them to the pediatrician? And right. that's really when the trouble begins. So when we, we come back, I want to talk to you about the role of women in in the stealing of youth if you have thoughts on that the book is stolen youth it is up at dennisprager.com hi everybody dennis prager here major new book out this week stolen youth how radicals are erasing innocence and indoctrinating a generation. Bethany Mandel and Carol Markowitz. I have Carol Markowitz on. She's a columnist at the New York Post. Every one of her columns is worth reading. So your subtitle is the thing that drives me crazy, the er erasing of innocence. So I have a question for you, which uh, is Carol there, by the way? Do we have her on? Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, I didn't see you. Okay, great. So you're a woman, and... It's a two. It's a two-part question. Question number one: Was I naive in thinking? And I, I literally thought this uh, almost all of my life until the present era, era, meaning last few years, that it was built into women to protect children's innocence. So, a question number one: Was that a naive romanticizing of females? And B, now that females are wildly disproportionately taking children's innocence away, how do you explain that? So number one, do you think, and by the way, I do now think that I, I was naive, uh, but maybe there is no such thing even as female nature. I mean, if females are not built to protect children, then... Uh, my, a lot of my understanding of men and women is, has been incorrect. 
I think women are built to protect children. I think that what you're seeing is a really small subset of women. Leftism is extremely unpopular. It is a tiny fraction of the population that is leftist. You know, I like to say that recent Pew poll had 7% of the country describes themselves as very liberal. And I'm sure that number is far lower for, for true leftists who would do crazy things to children. Um, but they're loud and they're in control of a lot of our institutions and they push through their agenda through forced conformity. And that's like the theme throughout the whole book is that people are afraid uh, because of the repercussions that they might face from these crazy people. And so are women nurtured to protect children? I think we are. I think that my instincts is not only to protect my own children, but all children. Um, I felt like when I was writing this book that I, I, I can protect my children. I moved to Florida. I took my kids out of what I thought was a failing situation for them um, in so many different ways in New York City. But I, you know, obviously not every kid can do that. So I felt like this book was fighting for all the kids that don't have the opportunities that my kids might have. And the women that you're talking about, I know exactly who you mean. It's, it's these women who are more afraid to lose their social status. So they take their kids to these drag queen shows where the, the drag queen is twerking on their toddler, which they would never do if it was a woman, right? If, if, the, if the drag queen was a stripper, they would never allow this to happen. But because it's a man in drag, somehow that makes it okay. And that's really the tell here is that they think it's okay because it's got some proximity to LGBT or whatever. And they think that that makes them, that makes it acceptable. And that makes them part of the in-group. And for women who care more about belonging to the in-group than they do of their children, I, I fully agree with you that these women are not the standard that we're used to that care about kids and protect children. Okay. So I wasn't naive is your answer to number one. What about question two? How do you explain yeah. the disproportionate mm -hmm. role women are playing in ruining children? Well, that's an easy one because women have more access to children. Women have more um, availability of children to ruin. I think that that's, that's sort of the answer here is that these women are pushing an agenda through the children. And again, that first chapter where we talk about the history of this, it's always through the children that the agenda gets pushed. It's always through a separation of the family. And these women are doing this because they believe in the ideology more than anything else. You know, I've been thinking recently about how the, lang the language that we use, like victims of communism, it's not victims of communism, it's victim of communists. It's victim of this. It's not victims of the ideology. It's victims of the people who push the ideology. And these women are those people hurting children and pushing their ideology through them. There's a story you tell in the book of a man. His last name is Louis L-U-I. He moved from California to Indiana. Indiana. Mm -hmm. Thinking he was going to protect his children. And then, by the way, I could have told him what would happen right i don't i don't know almost anywhere in the country i'm sure i know that they exist but i don't i can't name one where the average school private or public is is not hurting children uh indiana is middle america but it doesn't matter the schools are not run by middle america the schools are run by fools by radical fools so 
what does a parent do? Well, the message of our book is you have to fight back no matter where you are. Yeah, you should not feel comfortable just because you're in a red state. I feel more comfortable in Florida than I did in Brooklyn, for sure. Um, I feel more comfortable because of Governor Ron DeSantis's policies. I think he um, implements things that have an actual effect. I think that the public schools here are safer than the private schools in that way because wokeness is just really curtailed in the public schools and it can't be in the private. Um, but yeah, there's nowhere that you can just sit back and relax and send your kids to school and not worry about it. You have to give them the foundation at home. You say, these are our values. and these, This is what I want you to go live in the world. And they will also notice when somebody else is trying to push their values on them. I think my kids are extremely attuned to somebody trying to indoctrinate them. I mean, oh, I you'll tell kids, us how you did that. Yeah. Hold on. I want to... Yeah reacquaint the audience with your great book stolen youth how radicals are erasing innocence bethany mandel carol markowitz the book is up stolen youth at dennisprager.com or just order it anywhere it's fundraising month for prager U. we change minds especially young people a billion views a year it's the largest website of its type in the world 65% of those views are people under 35. The only way we can do it, and everything is free, is through your help. PragerU.com, or just call 833-PRAGERU. Thank you. America thanks you. Carol Markowitz has co-authored Stolen Youth, How Radicals and Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating the Generation. Stolen Youth is up at DennisPrager.com or anywhere you want to buy the book. So, here's a question I'll bet no interviewer has asked you. And I'm okay if they did. But I'm just curious. You have children. Or forgetting that you have children. What would you recommend to a parent whose 10-year-old daughter comes home and says she's a boy? Well, we address all of this in the book because we felt like people did need solutions and they needed a way out of this kind of madness. Um, I present the path where my children stay in the culture and we provide a foundation for them and also tools for them to use outside the house. My co-author, Bethany Mandel, has six children she homeschools and basically pulls them out of culture. But... The things that you need to do is remove your child from situations where they're being influenced. Step one, absolutely, is that if it's uh, a contagion that's happening at their school, then you have to pull them out of the school. You have to do whatever it takes for your child. And All right, wait, wait, wait. Really, don't, yeah. don't, don't forget where you are. How would you know that okay. there is a contagion? Well, if my child came to me and said, I don't feel like the right, I don't feel like the gender I was born with, then that's, that's what I would, I would, I would immediately look for the source. And I would also say that you should be already in your child's business in every way. The thing is that I think a lot of parents give their kids too much room. Um, I, I think your kids should be able to be free. I let my, my children explore on their own. But I know all of their friends. I have all of their passwords. I know all you know apps that they use. That has to be step one. But if you already didn't do that step, then I think that once they come to you with this, you have to be prepared to 
uproot your whole life to fix it because it's not it's so serious and it's so damaging and it, it could easily turn into a lifelong thing or it could be just a phase but even just during that phase it could be something that they take steps to to fix and that will that could affect them forever so my my take is if my child comes home my son says he's a girl i will say you're not a girl you have been lied to by bad people. You are not a girl. It is not possible for you to be a girl. Is that wrong? I don't know that it's wrong. Um, I think every parent would have sort of a different way of looking at it. My son, when he was three, said he was George Washington. Um, I didn't immediately try to talk him out of it. I just let him go with being George Washington for a little while. Um, but I didn't let him take his sword to school. And, you know, I think there has to be sort of boundaries of what you will allow. I think every family will have a different sort of reaction. They might say, um, yeah, you're not a girl or you're, you know, if you're a boy and you say you're a girl, you're not a girl. Um, but, you know, let's talk about what that means to you. Let's talk about why you think you might be a girl. Um, if a lot of times it's actually often girls saying that they feel like they're a boy and that, explanation comes back things like I'm good at sports or I feel like I don't want to wear dresses and you could say to them well you don't have to wear dresses go ahead wear pants that doesn't make you a boy yeah because that that feeds into my earlier point they don't know what it is to be the other sex liking sports doesn't make you a boy absolutely and it also might be just a cry for attention. I often say that if I were a teenager right now, I would be switching my pronouns from day to day. I would be, I, there would be no doubt about it. I, I, if I could have my teachers have to call me a new pronoun every day, that kind of power would just, I would be. Oh, that's fascinating. Super into that. All right, folks. Stolen Youth. It's an important book. She's an important thinker. Carol, congratulations. Thank you, Thank you so much, Dennis. Yeah. Let it never be said that Americans were not warned during this era. Back in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.